you up. We love you. We thank you for blessing us this day to be here in your presence. Hear your word. To learn. To make full attention. Pay full attention to what you're doing in our lives and the sound of your voice, Father. Let it uh, be a, a, a voice that we can take with us for the rest of the week. Give us revelation and understanding of things too uh, wonderful for us to really comprehend. But you make them known to us by your spirit. This is a miracle that you do for us. And we thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Now I want you guys to focus and take notes. Pen and pencil and all of that kind of stuff. This gadget business is just, it's a distraction for you. And it gets to be a distraction for the preacher. And I'll tell you why. Because if you are not attentive to the word of God, your, your mind wanders and then the preaching has to go to pull you back in. And that's a lot of work. So if you don't mind, get a pencil and paper, start taking notes. Quit playing with them cell phones because I know y'all ain't typing. I know you text that fast, but you ain't texting in here. You're doing something to help you grow in God. So how many of y'all know too much about God already? That's what I thought. So let's let's be real here. Let's cut this nonsense out and and be serious because you're going to need this. You're going to need this. And some of y'all didn't get spanked enough already, so God caught up with you. And here's another spanking. So, Amen. Amen. Oh, hallelujah. I felt that. I felt it. Praise the Lord. Amen. All right. So today we're going to talk about stolen identity. And this is important because <clears throat> your identity is so foundational to your life. Who you believe you are, not who other people tell you you are, not who you think you are, but who deep down inside you believe you are, speaks volumes everywhere in your life. It just does. It sets the tone It sets the foundation for everything that you will do in life and everything that you will be in life is very closely related to your identity. This is why there are so many attempts in the earth to get people to disconnect from a sense of your identity really gives you your sense of security or insecurity in life. If you, sometimes people uh, pick up ideas. You ever have people who get these ideas that uh, my father died of a heart attack of 40 and I'm going to do the same thing. You understand? You can identify so closely with your parents, where you came from, your heritage, all that kind of stuff, that it's hard to break your thinking away from it even when it's detrimental to you. You got me? Sometimes people pick up, uh, they see things going on in their families that are great tragedies. And they feel locked into that, like, you know, almost like you're sucked into it. And you have to fight uh, everything to keep away from that. Sometimes if, if uh, a person is adopted, they go through great mental uh, anguish trying to figure out, you know, I don't know, my father might have been a, a murderer or a thief or what does that mean for me you know kids who have have notorious parents uh, go through very very difficult uh, times because of that in fact that's why it's legal for you to change your name as long as you're not doing it for fraudulent reasons that's so important to people uh, is who they are 
Um, the only uh, uh, people we ever had executed in this nation for espionage, anybody remember that? You ain't old enough. Well, me and Gigi can say it. The Rosenbergs, Ethel and Julius Rosenberg, they were executed sometime in the 50s. Well, there was a social worker who had worked with the family because they had two small boys. And this woman adopted them and never revealed their new names to anybody. She just picked names for them. So they've been able to live a somewhat normal life. But think if you had to take that, that name throughout your entire life as being the sons of the only two people ever executed for espionage in this country. You see the stigma? And she wanted them to have a fair chance. They were innocent and she wanted to see to it that they had a fair chance in life. It's better than not having that done but think even in their minds what they must be thinking of themselves having to carry that burden of, of their inheritance. So your identity is very important, folks. Who you believe you are makes all the difference in the world. Who you really, really believe you are. So I thought I would read you something about identity theft when we talk about stolen identity because in modern times identity theft is a crime that is on the rise as personal information is more often made public. Identity theft claims 11 million victims every year. They steal everything from financial, personal, medical identity, there are even computer programs that can help assist identity thieves. The thief, not the person that's trying to reclaim and get things right, but the guy who's trying to hack into your stuff, there's hacker websites to help them to be able to, to do those things more efficiently. The average fraud <clears throat> per person in 2003 was almost $5,000. So anybody who steals your identity in 2003 was able to get wipe out at least $5,000 of your money before the things were put in place. Now we're more sophisticated, but it still hasn't stopped. It's only down to about 2000 now. But it's still it's on the decrease because people now protect themselves more. Average time spent by a victim of identity theft in resolving the problem is 330 hours. It will take you that long to track down everything that's been done, get it resolved, get to the people that owe and convince them that you're you and this other person is not you, that kind of thing. So the loss of a person's identity is very serious. So I'm going to read you this little short article. that um, <clears throat> says more than 27 million people have been victims of identity theft in the past five years, the Federal Trade Commission said Wednesday. And this was in 2003, this article. The FTC released a survey showing that 9.9 .9 million people were victims of identity theft last year, costing them $5 billion. And business and financial institutions cost them more, almost $48 billion. For several years, we've been seeing anecdotal evidence that identity theft, and anecdotal is that what they mean by that is there's no crime statistics. It's just what people say has happened to them. People don't report it a lot of times because it's too much trouble for them. They're trying to get themselves straight again. And he says, 
He says, uh, we've been seeing anecdotal evidence that identity theft is a significant problem that is on the rise, said Howard Bales, Director of Consumer Protection for the FTC. Now we know it is affecting millions of consumers and costing billions of dollars. Scam artists for decades have used others' identities to take out loans and provide an alibi to police. You see, some people can commit crimes in their own person, and because they're perpetrating as somebody else, they have an alibi for it. He says, <clears throat> but the exact figures, he says a consumer protection agency has tracked identity theft since 98, but exact figures have been hard to come by as many victims never report the crime to criminals' authority, opting instead to work with banks or other businesses to clear their names. So you see when your identity is stolen, you're at such a loss, you'll do anything to get that off your record. Is this what you're concerned about? You're not concerned about making sure whoever's responsible gets caught. The FTC surveyed 4,000 adults last spring to come up with the most comprehensive picture yet of the fast-growing crime. In 2002, the FTC received 161,800 complaints about identity theft, double the year before. But agency officials acknowledge many people don't report the crime. The Justice Department estimated that as many as 700,000 Americans are victimized annually, costing each more than $1,000 to right the damage to their accounts and reputations. But amid the grim statistics, the agency found the silver lining. New incidents of identity theft are growing more slowly and tend to involve less <clears throat> money. Beale said this is because banks are catching on to the problem, making it more difficult for scam artists to set up fraudulent credit cards, and consumers are spotting suspicious activity on their accounts earlier. Consumers, consumers are learning to look for signs of trouble, Beale said, noting that one-third of victims surveyed said they noticed suspicious activity within a week. Education, outreach, and media reports are helping consumers to wise up. Businesses have become more sensitive to consumers' privacy as well, limiting the disclosure of, number, of account numbers and other sensitive information, he says. Because consumers are not liable for charges they did not incur, businesses bear the brunt of identity theft costs. Still, some 38% of victims surveyed said they never told anyone about their problem and simply swallowed the charges. Credit card fraud was the most common form of identity theft last year, accounting for 42% of complaints. Second at 22% was phone or utility fraud, followed by bank fraud at 17%. Bill said, and he gives information on how to report it if you're a victim of that. But I just want to let you know the cost in the natural realm of a stolen identity. And we'll talk about the cost in the spiritual realm for our stolen identity. And we'll talk about what God has done to get our true identity back to us and the price that was paid for that. Because I can tell you, when somebody else is out there trying to pretend like they're you, you're nervous all the time. Because you don't know what they're doing in your name. You don't know how they're operating and you don't know what the cost to you is. And that's the, the, the uh, remedy 
that God made for us. That we don't have to wonder about who we are. We don't have to be insecure about who we are. We don't have to be nervous about our being able to go forward and do the things we want to do because he has secured an identity, our true identity back for us after it was stolen. So we're going to talk about the theft of our identity and how it happened and what God has done to bring us back to who we really are. When you're born in this world, the Bible says you're born in sin and shaped in iniquity. But that's not who you are. That's never who you are. And so God has made a way for us to come back into a knowledge of who we really are. But if you're born in sin and shaped in iniquity, that has to be remedied in some way so you can get back to understanding who you are. You can get back to the true purpose for which you were created and you can get back to the success in life that God has called you to have because he wants us to have that. He secured that for us when he knew that we were in trouble and confused and did not know who we are. I know many of you over the years, throughout the years, how many of you have had ideas inside of you that kind of made you... uh, They were too great. They were wonderful. Like it was a great picture painted of something you were going to do with your life or something you wanted to do with your life. Those are glimpses of God's glory and his original purpose for us. So even though your identity was stolen, it wasn't stolen forever. It was stolen from your revelation of it and your knowledge of it. Because if God would let us carry out some of those great plans In sin and iniquity, they would confound us and they would destroy the world and destroy us with it. And so he lets us have a glimpse of his glory, some greatness that we believe we're called to, or some great thing that we feel we can be a part of, or some great idea that we just really feel like it's just something inside of me that keeps telling me, I can do this, or I can do that, or I should be doing this or that. Those are our remnants I would say, of what used to be for us and can be again. The reason God leaves that little bit in there for us is so that we can have hope for a better future. And many times it's those big dreams and those big big ideas that he uses to draw us back to him, to draw us back to the creator and the originator of that plan for our lives. So when God created us, he created us in his image For his purpose, for his glory. We were created to make the praise of God glorious. We were created for him. That's why anything else you try to do with your life, if it's done outside of God, will not satisfy you. You know, we were talking yesterday, I was talking a little bit about praying for loved ones to get saved. And after my husband got saved, I thought that was going to be the biggest deal in my life because I made it a big deal. You understand what I'm saying? You think, oh boy, if I can just get this, this will be the top where he got saved. And it didn't affect me one little bit. I still had to pray. I still had to believe God. Now you've got to believe God with somebody who's saved. You understand what I'm saying? When he was saved the first day, it was just like me the first day I was saved. Didn't know nothing about God. You got me? And had to learn the things of God. God doesn't save people to put our life on easy street. Huh? 
salvation belongs to God, that's God's business with that human being. If we can play a part in it and assist in it, praise God for that. But he doesn't save people for us. You know, I see people that make the mistake. Sometimes women find some guy they like and he's not saved yet. And they think if God will save him, I can drag him to the church and it will be okay to marry him. Listen, I can put the lunch on hold. We can hold lunch for a long time around here. What happens to another person is never going to put you on easy street or uneasy street. You better go down the right street with God and stay on it. Huh? I have women who come over my house. Oh, your husband's so nice. I just fed him. That's why he's... That's why yours was mean as a rattlesnake. If you don't feed them, they get mean. If you don't feed me, I get mean. If I don't feed y'all, y'all get mean. What's across the street? The Y? I'm going to go preach at the Y. I ain't thinking about y'all. Why? <laughs> I don't know why. Whatever they do, I don't know. <laughs> I can do that in Vogue all morning. I ain't thinking about y'all. Where was I? <laughs> yeah. You're created for Him. Don't make the mistake of thinking if you ever get something from another person, your life is going to be complete. You'll be above all people most miserable. Uh-huh. And I had a good marriage as far as y'all may not believe it, but I had a good marriage as far as they go. Uh-huh. Because God provided that for me. I had to believe God for peace. I had to believe him to teach me how to please my husband. <laughs> Whether he changed my oil or not. And he didn't do oil. <laughs> he didn't do oil. He didn't do. You know, when I know I told y'all this story before, but my car wouldn't start. It was in the garage. I asked him. I said, "Can you?" He said, "You call AAA." He said, "That's what I paid him for." Said, okay. <laughs> I was calling him. I just, you know, I just thought I'd get a confirmation. Should I? <laughs> So easy street it ain't. That's all I'm trying <laughs> People are people, folks. Saved or not, people are people. And we're going to have to learn how to love people. Love means you don't put conditions on it. You just love them, okay? Uh-huh. And you do right by them. You serve them because God has called us to serve one another. Period. Well, we got one person that agrees with that. I'm going to say it again. God has called us to serve one another. You know, if you can't serve your husband or wife, you married them. God didn't marry them. And he told you to marry half of them. You know, he showed up at the wedding. That was the first time he met whoever it was you was... 
ain't seen them before. He said, well, I thought you told me you wanted me to tell you who I wanted you to marry. I ain't never, I didn't. I mean, I'll witness it if that's what y'all want to do. You know, I'll witness all marriages, except gay ones. Amen. To put that on the television, no gay witnesses. I don't know what people think they can. You just make God do something? You can't make him do nothing. Now, some of his flaky servants, you might be able to twist their arms and make them say gay marriage is okay, but it ain't okay. That's not a marriage. You can't redefine something. Ricky, I'm going to define you. You're not a man anymore. You're, you know, a cat. I can't redefine him. He's still a man, no matter what I call him. Praise God. Amen. Go redefine something. You lying. Telling the truth. But it shows you how far people will go when they're deceived. They try to deceive other people. And if you go along with it, you're the one who's partaker of that deception. See? Some people are deceived and don't know any better. Other people know better and then they enter into the deception. Who's the bigger sinner? Huh? So the loss of your identity is very serious. That's the most serious crime in the Bible. And it's so serious that God had to provide a serious remedy for it. And so we'll talk about that. In Genesis chapter 3, we saw that man was in the garden with the woman. God had given them a life there. They could eat freely of any tree that was there, but except there was one tree in the midst of the garden that they could not eat of. Now, people ask questions like this, you know, and this is not your typical Jehovah Witness question, but it's a sincere question. If God wanted man to obey, why would he put something there that he wasn't supposed to touch? Huh? Wouldn't it have been easier for him not to put that tree that was forbidden in the midst of the garden? Been easier. However, God said, let us make man in our image. And your God is a judge. If he can make laws and enforce them, he's a judge. Amen? He's holy. So that he makes no law that's wrong. All his laws are just. All his laws are fair and right. Well, if he's a judge, that means that he has the power of choice in making decisions. So if he's created us in our image, then we must have that same ability, choice in making decisions. Other than that, the whole thing's fraudulent. You got me? It ain't worth nothing. So if we're made in man's image, to complete the image, we have to be able to make choices. That's why you and I can make choices. Because of what was done in the garden. If God had never put that tree in there that he told them not to touch. And told them the consequences of touching it. 
How much more do you need to tell somebody uh, what they didn't factor in was a serpent? See, you can make right choices as long as there's no interference with that choice. But the minute the, the choice options are obscured with deception or evil, because they've made the right choice every time. They walked around that tree and they remembered what God said about that tree. We're not to do it. We're not to touch it. We're not to. And they remembered. And then God raised the stakes. Listen. God has so much confidence in us. He has so much confidence in that our commitment to him. That we'll come back to him. That somewhere deep down inside of us, no matter how far we stray away from God, there's something that he put in us that pulls us back to him anyway. He's so confident of that. He didn't care when the devil challenged him. It's like he did with Job. He says, have you not put a hedge around him and everything he owns? Huh? The devil knew there was a hedge around Job. Job didn't know there was a hedge around Job. Huh? See, a lot of times we run out thinking nobody loves us. We don't have this. We can't do that. And God has already built a life for us. If we'll just tap into it. So, out pops the devil. huh? He's always in the details, as they say. And so in verse 14, Genesis 3, I'm sorry, in verse 4, I'm sorry, we'll start verse 1. The serpent was more subtle or wily or tricky than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Yea, hath God said. Huh? Just like some of your little tricky friends. Pour me another bartender. (laughs) I'm just getting started. (laughs) Huh? You got to give all your money to that church. And you barely tithe it. And you know it and God knows it. And then on a dare, you pull back. No, I ain't got to. Pastor Barb, Pastor Shirley, they can wear rags for us. I'm concerned. I ain't giving them cleans no more of my money. Huh? We get cocky like that when we're challenged. See, the devil knows how to. Because he put that in there. He knows how to go and cash in on his investment in us. Huh? Even though the hedge is around us. And we enjoy the hedge, but if the serpent comes in, that's why the Bible says, "Who he who breaks the hedge will be bitten by a serpent. Huh? You know, the best thing you can do for some of your little carnal center friends is stay away from them. And many times they'll wise up and stop stop getting around you. Every time I'm around some of her, this is just something about that person. It just don't work out for me with them. That's a good thing. 
See, that's the hedge. They know they can only go so far with you. There was some young man, his mother had been praying for him for a long time. He was heavenly involved in drugs. And he said there was a couple of friends of his that one of them had been in church and was backslidden and, you know, that kind of stuff. He said, and <clears throat> he said, and, and one time we were high on drugs and the girl was, looked like she had taken too much. And he began to pray and the presence of God showed up. And the one guy who was high with them got sober. And he said, man, don't do that. I'm getting out of here. He said, that's God you called just in. That's God. See, sinners even know. You got me? He sobered up so quick and got out of there. They called 911 and saved the girl. But he said things like that would happen. See, when his mother's praying for him to be saved, God saves him. You understand what I'm saying? So them little sinner friends of yours aren't so quick to want to break that hedge now. Huh? And that's wisdom telling them not to do that. Huh? <laughs> you know, we think we want to backslide and have a good time. But God is all over that. Are you kidding me? He's just all up for that. It's pitiful. You ain't never having no good time. <laughs> Praise God. So anyway, the enemy was subtle. And he said to the woman, has God really said that? Did he? Did is, Now, wait a minute now. I know God pretty good. Did, did, I know some scripture. That's what they tell you. That's what they tell you. And the woman said, <laughs> I know some of that too. Huh? It's kind of interesting. I think I've shared this before, but that uh, uh, this will show you how when God chooses you to do something, when you work for him, when he chooses you to do something, he has to choose you according to what he knows you're capable of doing. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, it's, we have a resume inside of us with God, and he has to match the resume with the challenge of the work. That he has, he has to do. Now, this is true. This was preached to me through somebody's, you know, ministry that I was connected with many years ago, and it sounded, you know, it's one of those things when you hear it, it's so true you almost don't want to believe it that it's that real. And it was one of those things. But you know, over the years, I found it to be the most true thing about how God chooses us for different work. That we're called to do. And that was, this was the time I had gone to visit my dad. The last time <clears throat> that he was in the hospital. And, and so I went over to visit him. And he was not, you know, with it at all. He didn't even know who I was. You know, I could have been to whatever coming in there. And he didn't even know his old daughter. And I'm trying to talk to him. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, what am I doing here, God? You know, I mean, I love my daddy. But... We ain't connected. You know, I envision in my mind, go and visit him and rehash old times, you know, whatever. <laughs> right, there you go. <laughs> Absolutely. His identity was stolen. <laughs> That's the ultimate fact. <laughs> I didn't even know who he was. Poor Dip. But beside me was a curtain. 
there was a man behind the curtain. He was a patient in the bed. And there was a young woman talking to him. And he was asking them questions. Apparently they were having some kind of discussion about the word. And she quoted more scripture. I'm saying, where is she getting this stuff from? I mean, she was professional. Let me tell you something, folks. When the devil wants to get you, he can hire the biggest professional fraud he can ever hire in life and assign them to your life. They will keep you on a wild goose chase. They will keep you teased and and confounded and messed up in your head. And she was telling him, well, I know all about the Bible. I know this stuff. I've been in this stuff for a long time. I said, I bet you have, Jesse. You've been in it for thousands of years. And he kept saying, he said, yeah, he said, but that's not what I'm asking you. She said, yeah, but see, the Bible says so. And this went on for a while. And I'm thinking, I said, this devil's pretty good over here. You know, I got interested over there. Trust me, dad was okay. You got me? (laughs) But then your ears perk up and you realize, you know, well, you know, I ain't really here for dad. This over here sounds pretty interesting. I might want to get involved in it. And so... She kept saying over and over again, and not only she, she was sitting next to him. He was in the bed. There was a guy at the foot of the bed who kept listening and allowing her to continue, see, like a Paul and Silas thing. I mean, the devil got all kind of counterfeits. You know, Jesus sent them out two by two. The devil sends them out two by two to double team you and mess your head up. And so... He kept saying, but I want to be saved. He said, I don't know how to get my soul saved. And finally I understood what the question was. Because she kept shooting at him and shooting him scriptures and trying to convince him and all that kind of. And then the room went silent. And I said, well, okay, God. I said, now I know what the dealio is. I said, you just tell me when, where, and what. Because I ain't leaving here until we get somebody. This soul gets free over here. huh? See, that's another thing. When God sends you somewhere, when you understand the assignment, you're committed to the assignment. You don't want to just give somebody a pep talk and pat them on the head and leave on out of there. And so I felt the presence of God show up when he said, I want to be saved. And God had me tell him this. Not the Roman road, not your five principles and steps, not your grab hands and lead them to the Lord. But the Lord said, told me, tell him this, you are already saved. I said, that that presence that you feel, I said, do you feel that presence in there? And he said, I do. I said, and he's making you cry. And he said, Is that what that is, ma'am? I said, yes, sir. I said, that is the Holy Spirit. I said, and he is a witness that your heart is crying for God. I said, and he has answered you, brother. I said, you are saved. Now, listen, if you obey God, you'll learn something. Because my head was saying, ding, 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 (laughs) like our boy Frederick. I can't get him out of my mind. You seen the real estate guy? Mill and Jolly. That's 
we're getting full ask for this. You know, Frederick, ding, 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 ding. But my head is going crazy saying, you didn't get him to do this. You didn't get him to do that. You didn't get him to do that. But I obeyed God. Because the Holy Spirit is a greater witness than my little steps and formulas. You got it? If the Holy Spirit accepts it, who am I to reject him? And put him through more religion. The queen of heaven has already worked him over with that. Huh? <laughs> I said, listen, you're a man. I said, men don't cry unless it's God. Even though you got the queen of heaven working you, she can't make you cry. Only God can make you cry. I didn't know if that was true or not, but I... Because I didn't work, well, no, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> I've seen some of them bridezillas can work them over real good, though. You understand? What <laughs> and so I began to tell him that God did save him. I said, and you're going to have to start now to learn about God. I said, he wants to take you further. I said, if you, I said, if I could, you know, get some information from you later, I'm a minister. I said, I can send you some information. I said, but what I want you to do is get in your Bible. I said, and you start with the Gospel of John. I said, that's where you're going to meet God. I said, you're going to start reading and understanding God. I said, so let this be the first step. And so I asked him, I said, can I shake your hand? And he was still crying, and I just pulled the curtain back a little bit and put my hand and said, Welcome to the family of God. You got me? That's how you get people. Huh? Took all of five minutes, and I didn't talk to Jesse. I didn't want to talk to her. I wasn't sent there for her. Because, see, if he starts following God, she got to find another assignment. You understand? There is another one for her as long as she... But she can get saved too, but it wasn't her day. My name wasn't on that miracle. You got me? Somebody else's name is on her miracle. But you do what God sends you somewhere to do. And you know what God sent you to do. You care nothing about her. Being rude and interrupting their conversation. They weren't having no conversation. He was on his way to hell to get his salvation stolen if he kept talking to that woman. So I hope he gets bold enough to tell her to hit the road. You got me? <laughs> Praise the Lord. She'll learn something herself. Praise God. So anyway, the serpent says, are you sure God said that? That's how the haters, you know, they hate your salvation. And that's what they do to you, make you doubt that what you have is real, worthwhile. They ridicule it, make fun of it. And if you're at least shaken in your identity, this is what they're always trying to strip from you. As fast as God puts it in you, the devil comes to steal it again. Yes. Trust me. The Bible says the minute the word is sown, the enemy comes and, and makes measures and tells you lies to steal it from you. So the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God said, you shall not eat of it, neither touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to her, you're not going to die. You're not going to die. He says, check this out. He always makes you jealous for something you already possess. 
It always makes you jealous for something you either have or you got something better yourself. Yours is authentic. Yours ain't fake. Huh? Like the real fake housewives. I wish I could get some of that so-called plastic surgery money they spend it. I mean, you can make people look like clowns and make them look grotesque and convince them they look beautiful. I see it all the time. And now that the saints are getting into it. Huh? You know, you got your face. You can't even move your face anymore. You got so much scar tissue for it. And they took it and pulled it and tightened it. They don't have no place to tuck it no more. Barely move your face. You're a preacher. You're supposed to be able to move your mouth. You can barely move it now. It's, it's pathetic. It's so pathetic I even hate saying anything. You know, it's so ridiculous that we would covet what the world has. And you, you know, your face is smoothed out, but you still get up out the chair like an 80-year-old. Uh, can I have three ushers? <laughs> I mean, who are we fooling? Ourselves. The one with the lift is the biggest deceived person. Let me move on. Um, I can't give y'all no more freebies. Just, just bear with me, okay? But, you know, we need to pray for the body. That's why we pray for the body of Christ, to preach for the sake of the gospel. You know, just preach the gospel for the sake of being obedient to God. You're not no personality. You are a voice. You're not a face. You're a voice. Isn't that what John the Baptist, he said, I'm a voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Get straight, y'all. Quit sinning and get right with God. My goodness. Nobody turning on the TV to see your mug. Seriously, I don't even look at that thing. And I sure don't turn it on to see what some preacher looks like. I look at one in the mirror every day. Biggest trouble Benny Hinn got in his life was a result of his wife's drug dependence from Plastic surgery. Almost cost him the ministry in the world, the healing anointing. Are you kidding me? And we think this is not a big thing for preachers. Everything we do is a big thing, folks. What about the scripture that says that, you know, I have liberty to do it, but I don't want to do it lest I make my brother who is weak or stumble. Pathetic. We're supposed to be preaching to other people, help them get secure, and we don't even like the way we look. Been living with that face almost a hundred years. Yeah, I said it. If you ain't got used to it in all them years, you just need to pray some more. I don't know. Anywho, I can't even get past the first scripture. I, just, you know, it's just. I guess. I guess I'm passionate about so many things. 
But you know, we live in that kind of world, y'all. You, you got to be careful of everything. It may look harmless to you. You may think it's not doing any harm, but the devil opens that door. And you don't know who else might go in that door behind you. Be careful when you're, you know. See, God sees us in a world that's very big, but when we're looking at something we think we want or we think we lack, our world's very small. We need to make up our minds what world we're living in. He says this, God knows that when you eat of that, your eyes will be open and you shall be as God. <laughs> they already were. They had dominion over everything. He says, you'll really be like God if you know good from evil or good and evil. They knew good from evil by making the choice. But you don't want to know good and evil. To know something means to be entangled with and entwined with it and make it a part of your life. You want to make evil a part of your life. All they had to do was keep walking by that tree and making the same decision over and over and over again. But something happened, not with her being rebellious and wanting that, but something happened based on association that we need to be careful of. She got deceived. Huh? He says, when the woman saw that it was good. What did she see all the other times she looked at that tree? She saw what God told her is evil. Don't you eat of it. It's forbidden. Don't do it. This time she looked at it and it looked good to her. Oh, everybody's guilty. Say amen. Let's get this over with. I ain't staring at y'all all day long. Oh, no. She's one of them painted ladies. I just can't be around, huh? There you go following her like an idiot. Hmm? She don't look like the girls in church. Let me go look again and make sure. And all the men say, I said all the men. Where y'all go ran and hid already, huh? Uh Oh, be looking at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. Cardinality gets you in trouble every time. And see, when you're deceived and you think what God has told you all along was evil and you call it good. Just like pastors that don't want to say homosexuality is sin. They're deceived already. That's why they asked them. The devil's got a list, folks, of people to interview. They don't never come and talk to me. (laughs) You wouldn't either, would you? See, the enemy likes to process our minds a certain way. You look at something and you tell yourself there's nothing wrong with it. As a child of God, everything that you observe needs to be put in a category, either good or evil. 
and don't switchy roo them around. Huh? Don't let the enemy deceive you into thinking, well, don't be so mean. Don't be so bad. That's the, that's the biggest, the biggest uh, piece of ammunition he has against the holy believer. When you say something's wrong, you're mean. See, we live in a court of accusation now <clears throat> where people, if they don't agree, if you don't agree with them, then they accuse you and try to assassinate your character in the process. You're mean. You should do this. You, you don't do enough of this. You don't do enough of that. Who do you think you are? If you were to go somewhere and say homosexuality is a sin, you're a hater. You're, you're a, uh, uh, you know, they got all kinds of lists of names for you. And I say, guilty. Amen. Yeah, that's me. Huh? What you going to do to me? You can't do nothing to me that my God can't undo or do more of to you. Listen, young people, the world has nothing for you. There is nothing the world, you have been bought back from the power of darkness and the power. The world has nothing for you. Everything that God has for you is in his kingdom. It's not over there. God's the only one that knows the number of every hair. He cares enough about you to count the hairs on your head. Your little sinner friends want your head. You got me? The devil's thinking every day how to destroy you. God's the only one who's thinking every minute how to prosper and how to bless you. And how to help you get somewhere. Don't sit up and be jealous of people in the world. When they get to have sex and get away, they ain't getting away with nothing. The wages of sin is death. And sex ain't nothing to get away with anyway. Ask married people. Oh, making me tired today. Oh, where was I? Did the serpent finally get his? Get his <laughs> Did he get canned yet, or we haven't gotten there yet? Okay, we keep rolling with it, huh? Says a woman saw that the tree was good for food. Pleasant to the eye. See, that's what deception does to you. It gives you a treat, eye candy. Huh? Treat your eyes all the time. Huh? You watch the devil's people and see if they don't do more to get your attention. Once he starts getting your attention, they start doing more and more and more and more and more to get your attention. And he says, pleasant to the eyes, a tree to be desired, to make one, uh, make one wise. Huh? You gonna get smart. Sin makes you smarter. Are you kidding me? Sin makes you so stupid you don't even know how to get home without doing some drugs. You can't even find a way home straight past the dope man's house. You gotta go right in there. You know, that's wise. Huh? You got a GPS and you don't pay no attention to it. That's wise. You set your GPS for go straight home and you can't even make it there. I just got to go down this way. For some reason, my car just turned me. There was a woman I'll never forget. She gave her tes- testimony on the 700 Club years ago. 
and she had uh, she had been a drug addict, and <clears throat> she was didn't have a boyfriend helping her with this. She did this all on her own. She got to the point where she was selling drugs, and she had messed up the dope money, and they were after her. And she said a friend of hers had been talking to her about the Lord. And she said she finally asked the friend to pray because she was in trouble. And she said the dope man called her and said he wanted to talk to her. And she said, that's when you run. She said, but for some reason, I felt to go. She said, and I felt that, that when that friend of mine prayed for me, that nothing was going to be able to hurt me and I would be okay. And she said, I went and talked to him. And he said, you know what? He said, I'm going to do you a favor. He said, I never do this for anybody. He said, if you get out of town, you don't look back. You don't tell anybody about it, this conversation. He said, I'm just going to let you go. He said, if you have anything that belongs to me, you give it back to me right now. He said, but you are free to go. And she left and she never looked back. The only time she told her, she told her testimony was when God opened the door to tell her testimony. And she said, and after that, I got in a church and she said, what amazed me was this. She said, I thought all my life that if I served God, I would be broke. I would, wouldn't, wouldn't have any joy. Everything would be terrible for me. And that church people made you do things you didn't want to do. She said, and I would start to ask them, you know, well, when they would have the offering, she said, well, what should I give? And they would say, well, whatever you want to give. And they said, well, the Bible says, and they read her Malachi 3. And she said, you mean I only got to give 10% to God? The dope man took more than that. She said, the dope man would take 70 from me. She said, I thought that was the best deal I'd ever come across in my life. She said, you mean all I can keep most of my money and I can serve God too? You see how the devil can keep people out of the kingdom with small things like that? She was shocked. She said, instead of 10, I started giving 20, 30, whatever I felt in my heart I wanted to give. She said, God was so good to me. He given me my life back. But you see how the devil wants to deceive us and call good evil and evil good and keep us locked up away from God if he can. <clears throat> so she ate and gave it to her husband to eat. So she, we have inherited this lie from the father of lies. So he's stolen our true identity and given us an identity that's false. So everybody walking around before they know Christ is living under a false identity, an identity that has been stolen from them and replaced with something that's not coming from God. And so God has done everything to bring us back to our real identity so we can feel secure. The identity that the devil has given us is full of curses. It's full of insecurities. It's full of poverty. You can, as a sinner, you can think your best thought on a good day, and at the end of the day, you wind up saying, I can't do this because it's too good for me to believe. You got me? So the enemy has taken away from us the ability to dream the dreams of God and see the results of God because of the lie that he planted on the inside of the woman and the man that's been inherited by every single generation. Many of us try to do better. We think the way to a good life is a good education. You go get an education 
Nowadays, people are so indebted from their educations, they can't pay off student loans. They see no, <clears throat> no possibility of getting out of that debt with the type of money they're able to get if they get a decent job. That's the way the world system is. It always demands more and more and more of you and gives you less and less and less. It used to be you could get a decent job with a bachelor's degree. You can't do that now. You've got to have a graduate degree and a post, and you still don't get much. You understand what I'm saying? And so <clears throat> the way to the way out that the enemy gives you is a deception anyway. You might maybe 10% of people might be successful in that route. But the majority of them will never be. You'll never get anything until you come into your true identity in God. So the enemy finds a weakness and he feeds into it. That's how he works. All he needs is for somebody to pay attention to him. All he needs is an audience. And he'll steal by planting lies in her mind. The serpent above everything wants to separate us from our source of blessing. You see that in verse 5. Satan did that to separate Adam and Eve from God who is their source of blessing. Every voice of authority in our lives is, is a potential source of blessing for us. And that's why he's made people so sensitive to the voice of authority. Many times people hate it and they say, well you just sound mean. No, I mean what I say. There's a difference. See, you used to dealing with people who don't mean what they say. You can talk them out of it. Little snake. Huh? They want you to go both ways. And I didn't mean nothing by that. Just elevate your thinking. See, all the devil needs is an audience. And he's good to go. That's why the Bible tells us to separate ourselves from the unclean things. Huh? Stay with the holy, stay away from the profane. Oh, but them Christians, they boring over there. You know what? We have the most fun. Huh? Because it don't cost you nothing. You don't have no hangover at the end of the day. Huh? You don't have to roll nothing. You don't have to inject nothing. You don't have to shoot nothing. You don't have to snort nothing. All you have to do is get under the atmosphere and start to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Huh? Saved or unsaved. Everybody gets in the presence of the Lord has some joy. He ministers to you in some way. So that's what the enemy does. He separates us from the source of our blessing. This is the main thing that he did with Adam and Eve, and this is what he does with Christians now. He wants to separate you from the source of blessing. And he causes us to doubt the goodness and the good character of God. He also wants to us to be frustrated in trying to understand the intentions of God and God's people. You ever see people that, that get in the... the the midst of the saints and they can be having a good time and then you don't see them for a while you know the devil takes them home and he tells them them people didn't mean that them just a bunch of phonies there they put that act on for everybody they don't mean they didn't love you they told you they loved you but they didn't mean that huh and so he will separate us from God by causing us to doubt the good intentions of the people who represent God I don't care if it's your spouse 
your pastor, good teachers, counselors, good people that God puts in your midst. He will always give you that hangover. You know, when you, you know how you, you have something that's good and then you pay for it later. That's the devil. He likes you to have a hangover about, you know, you can come in an atmosphere of worship and have a good time and then you get outside and he just boom, 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 pounding your head. Then people didn't love you. Look at you. You ain't nothing. He likes for you to pay for a good time, even when you have a good time in the Lord. He ain't got nothing to do with this. This is not his business to tell you anything about. You know, God will start ministering the word to you and then the devil come and put his two cents in. Like he knows scripture. Like that girl sitting behind that thing. Well, see, you know, that sounds good. You know, it's the first thing he'll tell you if you hear something you believe right off the bat. He hates instant faith. You know, he hates a quick decision to believe God and drop the nonsense. And so he'll come to you and tell you, you know, uh, yeah, I I know that's probably true with some people. See, I knew so and so and so and so. And they was in church for 30 years and tried to believe God for healing and they died. Huh? (laughs) true. You know, I, to be honest with you, the first uh, groups of believers I got in when I got around them outside of the meeting, that's the way they talk. They always tell you their, their testimonies of doom and gloom because they were afraid to go into any depths of the word with God. You got me? I said, no, nah, y'all can believe that, but I'm already convinced. God already healed me, so you can't take that away from me. Huh? But I had to get away from them because they work on you triple time to get you to believe their nonsense. And then when you don't believe them, then they want to offend you and tell you off. Well, I just think you're here to cause trouble for us. I said, oh, yeah. Oh, you, you hardly know me. And you didn't pick that much up. You're pretty good. Because if you sit up here and perpetrate lies like this, I am trouble for you. Huh? So I might as well hit the road and go do what God told me to do. Casting my pearls in front of swine. Are you kidding me? Go where people want to receive the word. The enemy always wants us to believe that God's people don't have our best interests at heart. I mean like you're really dependent on people for anything. But sometimes we are to a degree as examples for us. Or that they're stealing something from us and cheating us out of something that we deserve in the process. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's always, whenever God puts you in a place where you'll prosper, the enemy wants you to think that something's been taken from you. You're not going to get that. See, some people get that, but that's not for you. You're not going to get that. Because that's for so-and-so and and that ain't for you. You ain't going to get that here. And so as time goes on, instead of you exercising patience in that God is already developing you and helping you, then you think all your time spent there is taking something away from you. See, that comes from a warped sense of who you are. 
comes from a twisted identity. It comes from you not really understanding that once God plants you somewhere, that place will be a feeding place for you forever. You got me? That's how people get moved around from church to church and place to place. The enemy works on them and convinces them finally that the longer you stay there, the longer it's going to be for you to get so and so and such and such because these people got it and they get it and they get it, but you're never going to get it because. So he twists your identity. All of a sudden, you're not a part of things you thought you were, but now it's coming to question. People who have, have... behavior problems I'll call them in church assemblies you know they can't get it together they can't string three days of obedience together so that they can be blessed you know they obey for a minute don't do right then they get condemned quit obeying at all it takes a long time sometimes for them to just get planted be patient And start showing some fruit. And see what eventually happens is that the enemy takes their attention from God. And puts it on people who are made in God's image. And see as God begins to bless people around the congregation. Obedient people. They start instead of looking at God. They start looking at people and comparing themselves with play into the devil's hands well they haven't been here as long as I have and they got three promotions already and I don't have nothing see somebody who doesn't know who they are it's easy for them to believe that kind of stuff believe that somehow you've been singled out because you're different like the same blood of Jesus didn't buy you that bought them and bought everybody else. The only difference is they must be doing something maybe that you haven't. But see, that's the worst thing in the world for somebody with a broken identity to hear. See, they can't handle responsibility for their own life. They can't handle responsibility for their own obedience. They can't handle, I'm responsible for where I am. Maybe I need to get in, in the conversation a little bit deeper with God and find out what I need to do. Huh? So that I can be blessed. They rather feel sorry for themselves. Like Adam and Eve. Well, you know, we just made us some coats and, you know, some leaves. Sewed some leaves together to wear them. You know, we just, you know, we're no good anymore. We just... String together whatever and put that on. I just don't care anymore. Huh? It's always a sign of broken identity. See, people, most people, when they get up every day and they look in the mirror and they see who they are, they want to adorn that. That's part of the God identity in us. Didn't Jesus say, consider the lilies of the field. God clothes them. So when you get up every morning, you look at yourself and you want to make up, adorn yourself, put on something nice, feel good about yourself. That's the God likeness in you. When you cease wanting to do that, you've got a broken identity somewhere. That's why they take you to the mental hospital and somebody tells you to get dressed, brush your teeth. Huh? I've been there. You got me? See, I know what it's like to have a broken identity. I mean broken from a sinner. (laughs) It's pretty bad. You understand what I'm saying? 
But see, when you cease wanting to adorn who God made you, you have a broken identity. And that's got to be put back and repaired. And so God then has a double task. Putting you back together in a normal fashion and then dressing you up higher to his standards. So that's why people quit in obeying God. That's why they drop out instead of continuing. That's why they're bitter and angry with everybody when they leave. Because they started out with a broken identity instead of them looking unto Jesus to help them and complete them. They start looking at people and judging. Huh? I've had them tell me, I don't see how, you know, God, God could bless me because I, I, I'm nicer than so-and-so is. Really? You mean you've got to be nice now to get from God? I thought you had to be righteous. Oh, you don't know the difference. That's what the problem is. See, because if you keep your eyes on God and get them off condemning so-and-so because they're blessed and you're not, you'd understand righteousness. You'd understand sister so-and-so's had a hard life just like you did. And if she snaps at somebody every now and then, the blood of Jesus paid for her to repent, be forgiven, and be righteous again. Just like when you screw up. But see, instead of doing that and getting under the blood, you sit back out from under the blood and judge everybody who is under it. Huh? If I didn't make mistakes, I wouldn't get anywhere in life. There's a lot out here to be made. And I'm not ashamed of them. I don't, I don't like them. I wish they hadn't happened, but I don't dwell a lot on failure and what I missed. I dwell more on him and going forward because I know I'm forgiven. Huh? So the serpent pulls them over into deception. Believing the lie causes us to see what the liar tells us to see. So when you look at the world, you don't see what God sees. You see what the devil tells you is there. He'll find some woman that doesn't mean you any good and and make you separate from your family just to be around her. Cuss mom and daddy out. Huh? Wait a minute now. Do we read the same Bible? Huh? We pray the prodigal prayer every time we get together. That's what he did. Cussed his daddy out, tell him, get my money, I'm gone. I like hoes. And I'm spending your money on them. I don't like the girl you pick for me. I don't like the girl whose family raised her right. I don't like the girl who's going to be faithful to me. I like hoes. And I want to take your money and go spend it on them. That's the new interesting version. I mean, I know you all don't have it. You don't have all the pages of it. But, you know, if you take notes, you'll be able to. And the daddy knew what he was going to do with the money. He was going to do what he does all the time. Every time I get that boy some money, go up there and see what them hoes doing. They doing the same thing. 
How much time do I have? Tell me when this is over. Oh, good. Five. <laughs> one say five, one say seven. <laughs> huh? Do the same thing with every piece of money he was ever given. See, the believing the lie causes us to see what the liar tells us to see. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Huh? Most people never tasted what the Lord has for them. Because they're deceived into thinking, it ain't no fun, it's not this, it's not. It's not a lot of things. It's not bad for you. So he finally convinces us that good is evil and evil is good. And he causes us to act on it. Huh? He pushes you to act on it. God won't push you to do anything. He draws us. There's a difference. Huh? The devil couldn't draw flies on a hot day. That's why he pushes Drawing is done with the fruit of compassion, the fruit of love and compassion. People who followed Jesus followed him. He didn't beat them like Caesar did. That's how Peter could say, God, where are we going to go? You have the words of life. See, when we follow you, we live. When we try to get along with Caesar, he beats us and takes more from us. The devil will always beat you. Beat you up with words and accusations. Huh? Oh, you a church boy. What you don't like, girls, you must be gay. Not that there's nothing wrong with that. (laughs) You know you heard it before. Don't sit up and act like you ain't heard that. Huh? There you go. One honest man. Hiding behind your wedding ring, but anyway. I'm messing with you, Cece. Thanks, brother. Thanks for helping me out. Huh? You a church boy. Mm-hmm. Church boys like to do it too. Now, what you gonna say to that? Oh, I. <laughs> You better pray in tongues and get to running. That's all I can tell you. When the conversation gets that deep, you ain't got but one. The Bible says flee fornication. Because you stay there and that conversation is going to be on. Or should I say off. The fruit of disobedience is that you can permanently see what the devil tells you to see. You get so deceived you can't snap yourself out of it anymore. Remember Samson? Wouldn't go, he went and slept with a harlot, got up and shook it off and he was strong just like he was before. Deception gets to the point where you don't know to shake it off. Or you go to shake yourself and it ain't there no more. God departs from you. And somebody got to come find you. He said, nope. If I deal with him, it's not going to be nice. So he sends a saint. Who will pray for you. And intercede for you. 
and try to speak to you. To pull you out of deception. Don't be a long way from God. He gave you your identity. God eventually prepares proper clothing from the man and for the man and the woman with the shed blood of an animal. And that sealed them into a covenant of promise. He told them that through the woman, the one who started this little mess, I'm going to bring her back to honor by allowing her to give birth to the son. Mary, we know. Joseph, we got to think about. <laughs> huh? Isn't that right? God kept his word. Amen. And so God then begins to bring honor, dignity, and glory back to humanity in the person of a Savior. Somebody to bruise the devil's heel to bring us back to our right identity. So that when you look in, that, in the mirror of the word of God, you see who you really are. You see that you're a son of God. What does that mean? That means you have an inheritance with the Father. You don't have to go out and make it for yourself. You can serve God and he makes it for you. He prepares what you need. What you need is already prepared for you and it's hid with Christ in God. So nobody can steal it from you. You don't have to worry about people mistreating you. Uh, treating you like a doormat, running all over you. I ain't going to get married because I don't want no man running all over me. Hmm? See, that's a warped identity. If the thought of marriage doesn't bring dignity to you, why are you getting involved with it anyway? Why would you want to be involved with something that's going to run you down? But see, the Bible says marriage is honorable. But very few people involved in it think that way about it. Every time you say marriage, oh boy, here we go again. Huh? See, that comes from a broken identity. It comes from the devil feeding you information. And see, we're scared to go to God's word for something. Because then we really got to strip down to where we live. Huh? You got to put off all the facade. You got to pull off all the mask. You got to let God have everything so He can build you up from square one and start the remake. Huh? But it's worth it. Even in a marriage, you can hold on to a marriage and preserve it and make it better because God knows how to rebuild these things. He don't strip you of everything and you're left with nothing. He'll use what He can use and He'll keep the rest of it away from your view. So that you don't have to get involved in it. You can just let God work what he needs to work through you supernaturally. To rebuild the proper ideas inside of you. Proper identity. There's something wrong with somebody who thinks that they can pledge love and commitment to somebody and it be a bad deal for them. See there's something twisted in that. That ain't right thinking. Because even as a sinner, I didn't think like that about marriage. I thought I was going to have the best marriage in the world. We were going to stay together forever. I had the best hope and encouragement about that. Because marriage, a real marriage commitment, will put that inside of a person. Because God brings honor and dignity to you when you are married. Huh? I've seen newlywed people. Man, they just skipping and hopping and... You know, they're on top of the world. And 
No, 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 no. You know, I said, everything's wonderful. I said, oh, boy, they just got married. Huh? Give them a few months. That's why you would see married people sometime. I knew they were newlyweds. I said, y'all still together, huh? <laughs> you know, you see them a couple of weeks later or something. You know, because it does bring honor and dignity to you. You feel like you're the most, you know, wonderful person. Oh, look at this wonderful thing that has happened to me. Everybody else thinks you're crazy. And all the married people say, yeah, we know. Huh? But it... And it's a good thing it brings that honor and that dignity into your life. It is honorable because it elevates you to a higher place. You feel differently about yourself. You have a new identity in the marriage. And it's a good identity. It's not anything that's negative. You want to be Mr. So-and-so or Mrs. So-and-so. Show people your ring, all of those things. It's not the worst thing that happens to you. And if the enemy's doing that to your mind, take that to God. God, get this out of me. This ain't right. This is not your word. Marriage is honorable. It shouldn't be something I fear. It should be something I look forward to. I'm going to invest myself fully in it. And I'm going to reap the rewards of it. It's not going to be a one-sided thing where I'm at a loss or I get stepped on. What's wrong with you if people want to step on you? Do you understand me? There's something wrong in the way you're looking at yourself. If you think you can enter into something good and it just turn out bad for you. Especially as a Christian. Even if you get into a situation that's not ideal. If you will pray and obey God, he will straighten it out for you. Or at least he'll straighten you out in it. You got me? Sometimes that's all that's needed. You need an attitude adjustment. I think it's time. but God wants us folks to get our identity back the devil's stolen who we really are from us the only way we'll get that is we gotta live for God you stay in your word you believe what God says about you as you believe it you live it out you don't have to prove it to people all the time And you don't need anybody patting you on the back telling you how wonderful you are, how great you do. You can be a self-encourager so that you can have enough to encourage somebody else in where they're going in God. How about that for a change? See, we can do those things if we allow God to do that transformation in us through the renewing of our mind. That means the spirit of your mind has to be new. It's not you got to sit up there and memorize scripture and try to get that out your brain. Get your, give it to God. Say, so God, this isn't right. I know there's something I think about myself that's not lining up with who you say I am. And I want to match that. I want to be who you say I am instead of what I've always been and trying to make up for that, compensate for it, hide it from people, whatever we do. Pretend it's not there. Make excuses for it. Whatever is your pattern. You want to be who you really are. You want to be comfortable for once. Huh? Like Adam. Adam and Eve were naked and not ashamed. We need to be able to get that way before God. Huh? Adam was the first naked worshiper. See, the New Age people think they got a corner on that, but they're liars and thieves. Adam and Eve was the first ones. Huh? 
And it's a good thing. Strip all that religion and nonsense off before God and just show him, God, this is who I think I am now. You, and I know your word says that there's more for me. And I want what your word says. Let me have what the devil stole. Give me back my real identity. Give me back who I am. Give me back who I am. Give me back who I am. Praise God. Amen. All right. We're done. Father, we thank you for your word and for understanding. We thank you, Lord. Your word is precious. Sets us free from wrong identity. We have nothing to be ashamed of. We have nothing to want to hide. We can be naked before you, worship you, be unashamed and unafraid in it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Increase the fruits of our righteousness. Give us a clearer picture of who we really are and what you've called us to do. And we thank you for it, Father. We give you all praise, all honor, and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. If you need prayer, come on up. I'll pray her for you. Pray her for you. <laughs> I say that.